Well, this is tithe and offerings lesson number four, and I call this one tithing under the law. One of the laws or principles we've established over and over now these last few lessons is that tithes and offerings were established before Moses in the law. It was something the heart of the patriarchs compelled them to do. It was, it was initiated by faith, whether it was Abraham giving tithes, whether it was Jacob vowing to tithe, whether it was these men giving offerings. This was something Israel began to do of their own heart, their own will, and their own faith. When the law comes along, the Mosaic law given by Moses, the Lord begins to legislate what their, their faith and their heart had already instituted. So we need to be very clear on that. God did not institute tithing. He only legislated it. He only put uh, barriers around it. He only put parameters around it, but he did not institute it. Abraham's faith instituted it. Jacob's faith followed up with it. Uh, the Lord did not institute offerings. The faith of Cain and Abel instituted offerings. Something within them said, this is God and I want to give back. And so when the law comes along on Mount Sinai and then again in the wilderness and then again right before the possession of the promised land, well, what happens is the Lord begins to regulate how this is going to be done. And that's what we're going to look at this morning, these principles, because the Lord, with everything he does with the law, it's all about getting our hearts to honor him and to worship him and to make sure we don't get into doing things legalistically or to do things with the wrong heart. So let's jump into this lesson. As we've seen multiple times, tithes and offerings were established hundreds of years before Moses and the law, but were simply regulated by the law. And that's what we need to understand. It was regulated. The tithing laws were given in three rounds. And I think this is such a beautiful pattern. Uh, it just speaks volumes of how the Lord reveals himself progressively to us and to his people as the need arises. The three rounds in which the tithing laws were given are on the mount, Mount Sinai, that's recorded in the book of Leviticus, in the wilderness, that's recorded in the book of Numbers, and right before possessing the promised land, those laws are recorded in the book of Deuteronomy. This lesson looks at the commandments concerning tithing under the old covenant. So we're going to look at every passage on tithing from Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and we're going to build principles. What we're going to find out is there's, there's 26 tithing principles from these three passages, and as we look at these 26 tithing principles, we're going to look at them and say, well, well that sounds entirely New Testament to me, and what we're going to be able to do is totally diffuse the, the modern argument that tithing has been done away with, to which I always make the argument, I understand tithing's under the Old Covenant, so is uh, worship, so is holiness, so is serving God. And so we got to use a lot more discernment and discretion when we start picking and choosing what laws we do and don't want to obey. So the commandments on the mount. These laws covered, again, this is the Lord giving commandments on the tithe on the Mount Sinai. This is when the Ten Commandments were given that same period of time. These laws covered whom the tithe belongs to, what is to be tithed, and the rules for buying back your tithe. That is, giving a monetary tithe in the place of the animal or produce. So this is the very first set of laws given concerning the tithe. Up until now, Israel is following the pattern of Abraham and Jacob. So tithes on the spoils of war, tithes on anything God blesses you with as a nomad. But here we have the first set of laws given, and they're going to seem very uh, out of place because of what the Lord is addressing, because the Lord knows all. Let's read this passage. Leviticus chapter 27. And all the tithe of the land. All right, that right there is a problem because they don't have any land. They've just escaped slavery out of Egypt. They're just living in tents. They're on the run, so to speak. They're at the base of a mountain, and the Lord's telling them about all the tithe of the land. What land? 
the land I promised to give Abraham 430 years ago. So even the Lord giving this law is done by faith because they don't have any land yet. But he's laying down the law, all the tithe of the land. What land, Lord? The land I'm about to give you. All the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree. They don't have trees and seeds in the wilderness. It's just desert. This is all by faith about what's going to come. It is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. And if a man will redeem all of his tithes, that means to buy them back. And in this passage in Leviticus, redeeming things is talked of many times. This is the final part of Leviticus 27 that talks about redeeming. If a man will buy back his tithes, he shall add thereto the fifth part. So let's say you, had a, a, you wanted to tithe on your crop of grapes. Um, you were going to tithe the crop of grapes, but you'd rather buy that back and tithe the money. The Lord said you can do that, but you've got to add 20% interest. That was just the Lord's law. And concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even of whatsoever passeth under the, law, under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. Now pause there. He's talking about if when you tithe on your cattle to me, you, you let them pass under the rod. The herd passes under the rod and you count. One, two, three, four, five, six, eight, nine, ten. The tenth one you give to me. And it's a measure of his way of counting. And I say that because what happens and what the, the, the law he's about to give here is to try to stop cheaters. Because listen to what he says. He shall not search whether it be good or bad. Oh, man, the tenth one's my best ram. Ugh. And we do the same thing. He shall not change it whether it be good or bad, neither shall he change it. He shall not search it, neither shall he change it. And if he change it all... And if he change it at all, then both it and the change thereof shall be holy. So if he exchanges it, the Lord gets both of them. Because <laughs> he doesn't want people to cheat him. Not because he needs the ram or the billy goat, but because he wants our hearts to give the Lord the very best. And it, uh, and it shall not be redeemed. You can't buy it back. These are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel in Mount Sinai. So this first passage of laws prepared Israel to tithe the increase of the promised land, a land they had yet to receive. In addition to Abraham's spoils of war and Jacob's increases as a nomad, this passage expands tithing to agriculture and livestock. They hadn't ever considered that before because it's not what Abraham tithed. It's not what Jacob had promised to tithe. So this is expanding their horizons. If you don't do that, then flesh says, well, all I have to do is tithe on the spoils of war. And since we're at peace, I don't have to tithe. And the Lord hasn't really increased me like he did Jacob, so I don't have to tithe. The Lord, and the Lord's going to make sure we, his people are covered, that we're, we're giving 10% of everything the Lord promises and blesses us with. There are two paramount principles established here. And these are the most two critical Old and New Testament combined. Number one, the tithe is the Lord's. It is holy unto him. In fact, the word for holy or hallowed there is a twofold word. When it's in reference to the Lord's, it's holy. But the word switches gears in the Hebrew. If you keep it, it's called cursed. I mean, that's, that's a unique word in the Hebrew. When it's called the Lord's, the word is described as holy. When you hold it back and keep it in your bosom, like Achan did at Ai in Jericho, it's called cursed. Hallowed. It's hallowed unto the Lord, but if you keep it, it becomes a rotten thing for you and it hurts your family. Number two, the tithe is holy. So those are the two most critical principles about the tithe. It's the Lord's and it's holy. And therefore, he will always talk to us about it. My wife was telling me, as I've been researching all this, 
when she first got saved, she said uh, she, she went to the Assemblies of God Church and heard a message on tithing. And she said, well, okay, I need to tithe. And she said, I started tithing, and the Lord started blessing my life. And here she is, just a baby Christian uh, freshman in college. She said, and then there was a book in the church library called Why You Don't Have to Tithe. So she said, I read that, and I thought, well, now I don't have to tithe. So I quit tithing, and my world began to fall apart. And I said, that's dumb. I don't know who wrote the book, but it's not true because it's not working. So I started tithing again, and it got better again. I mean, all you have to do is prove the doctrine to see whether it bears fruit or not. Because I tell you this, you can study tithing on the Internet, and you can be talked out of tithing in about two clicks. But then your life will be talked out of blessing in two clicks. And isn't it a shame? One click can undo your life. Amen. You can't argue. The tithe is the Lord. It's holy unto him. Second round of commandments. We call this the commandments in the wilderness. More of the mitzvah, and that's a term I want you as a church to be familiar with. The mitzvah are the collection of the 613 commandments under the law. 613 commandments. That's all they had under the Old Testament. We have over 1,000 in the New Testament. They, the Jews call that collectively the mitzvah. That would include all the laws on tithing. More of the mitzvah were given in the wilderness as the nation began to grow and settle in their newly established covenant of laws, promises, and sacrifices. All right? So now we're dealing with a nomadic nation. And for 40 years, they're going to be nomads for one entire generation. So as they're getting into the routine of things that they've learned on the law, on the mountain, the Lord's going to add more laws to them. He, he's almost upping his revelation of himself and now he's giving more laws to help them advance further when the lord reveals himself it causes us to go higher and become more accountable this the second uh the second round of tithing laws were focused on the purpose of tithing so what we saw in leviticus was what you should tithe here it says why you should tithe because it's always good to know why and we've been teaching that on wednesday nights whenever we see a commandment from god we need to ask what is the heart behind this commandment if you obey the commandment without understanding, you'll get legalistic pretty easily. If you can understand why the Lord wants you to do something, it's easy to catch the heart of the law and thereby avoid legalism. So this second round of laws, Israel has already digested the first round of laws given on the mount, and they're walking it out, all right? I'm of the tribe of Asher. I'm of the tribe of Gad. Those are the Levites. This is the tabernacle. There's the glory cloud. We can't do this. We can't do that. We can't do this. We can't do that. We do manna here. We don't do manna there. We got quail. All right, I'm ready for third grade, and the Lord gives another round of laws. Part of those laws include progressive understanding on the tithe. The second round of tithing laws were focused on the purpose of tithing, and that is supporting the priesthood. That is the whole reason God initiated or legislated the tithe under the Old Covenant was to support the priesthood, specifically the whole tribe of Levi. These laws also taught the priests how to handle the tithe. So it's not just you have to do something. If I'm the priest, I have to do something right with the tithe as well. So let's look at, uh, there's a couple rounds of law here. This section I call the priests live by the tithe. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, that's the high priest, that's Moses' brother. And he says, you shall have no inheritance in their land. Neither shall you have any part among them, for I am your part and your inheritance among the children of Israel. And behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tenth in Israel for an inheritance for their service which they serve, even the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. But the tithes of the children of Israel which they offer as a heave offering unto the Lord, I have given it to the Levites to inherit. Therefore I have said unto them, 
Among the children of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. Uh, now, heave offering, if you study King James, you look at that and you're like, what in the world is a heave offering? Well, the word isn't really there in most of the passages, but when it does show up, it's usually it's just offering. It just means to lift up something to the Lord. Uh, you know, almost like you would lift up a child at baby dedication. It's just you present it to the Lord like this, and then you disperse it as you need to. That's a heave offering, something you just present, lift up and present to the Lord, as opposed to what's called a wave offering, which is when you would take a flank of an animal and, and actually the word literally means to separate. That's a whole other part of the offerings we won't get into. The tribe of Levi received no territorial inheritance, and I think most of you who are Bible students know that. Their inheritance was the ministry. So 11 tribes got territory, one tribe got no territory. Their whole life lived around the tabernacle. Now, not every Levite was a priest. Only the Aaronites or the sons of Aaron were the priests. But every Levite was part of taking care of the tabernacle and everything that went towards that. So you have an entire tribe whose job is church. They make up the worship teams, they make up the, the preparation for the offerings, they make up the, the chain of supply for the oils and the showbread. It's a, it's a busy production, pardon the word production, but it, it takes a whole tribe to do this. And that's to be their focus. So, so, so that it's their focus, the Lord says, you don't get any land because I don't want you distracted with farming. And I don't want you distracted with agriculture. And I don't want you distracted with livestock. And I don't want you distracted with wine production. I don't want you distracted with commerce. I want you to attend to me constantly. Well, then what are we going to do for the money? What are we going to do to supply our needs? And the Lord says, the tithe. The tithe takes care of the priest so that he can focus and attend to the Lord so the people can be blessed. This is established in the Bible, and it's carried over into the New Testament, and we understand that very clearly. The tribe of Levi received no territorial inheritance in the promised land. Therefore, they had no way to make a living. Talking about the whole tribe, children, women, grandparents. God ordained them to live by the altar and tabernacle. The tithe was used to support the priesthood and therefore the entire tribe of Levi. God was to be the object of their care and devotion. And we fully understand that today. There are many bivocational preachers and they long to get their church to a place where they don't have to be bivocational. They don't have to wait tables and preach. They don't have to do agriculture and preach. They don't have to work a geology job and preach. And every church would be wise to get their finances to a place where they could support their local priest, so to speak, so that he doesn't have to worry about being around pagans 40, 50 hours a week and still stay anointed and still stay focused and then manage the local body and the administration of the local body and then deal with all the families. I mean, really, you're going to kill your preacher if, as a church, you don't produce enough tithes and offerings to support the preacher. Amen. Amen. Or you'll kill his family, one. That's why a lot of denominational churches cycle through preachers so much, because they believe keeping the preacher poor is wisdom, which is absolute foolishness according to the word. God was to be the object of their care and devotion. He would care for them better than the increase of fields, properties, lands, and businesses. The primary purpose for tithing is revealed here. Here's our third point. The tithe supports God's minister. This principle is carried over into the New Testament. I found a, a research paper done by a Messianic Jew who did a lot of research, and he estimated, um, actually we'll get, it, we'll get into that in the next, the tithe on the tithe. He was doing estimations on how much money the priests were receiving in tithes because it's shocking. And all of it was not about making them rich, but it was about showing honor, where God placed honor upon the priest who gave their entire life 
to care for God's people and to care for God's house and to represent God toward the people and to represent the people back toward God. Uh, we'll, I'll, I'll quote that here in a second. So our next section, same passage in November, uh, November Numbers chapter 18, uh, continuation. We just broke it down to look at the parts. This is a section that gives rules on a tithe on the tithe. That's critical. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thus speak unto the Levites, and say unto them, When you take of the children of Israel the tithes which I have given you from them from your inheritance, then you shall offer up a heave offering of it for the Lord, even a tenth part of the tithe. Now notice the Levites tithe on the tithe. And this your heave offering shall be reckoned unto you as though it were the corn of the threshing floor and as the fullness of the winepress. Thus you shall offer a heave offering unto the Lord of all your tithes which you receive of the children of Israel and you shall give thereof uh, the Lord's heave offering to Aaron the priest. Now notice there, the Levites, they are supplied by the tithe of the nation, but then they take 10% and they tithe to the priesthood. To tithe on the tithe. We do that here as a church. I make my income. I'm on a salary. So this year, this church is probably going to be somewhere around half a million dollars in income, tithes and offerings and other allotment. I'm on a, I am on a in, uh, salary. Uh, all of our staff is on salary. But so I make my living from the tithe. But I tithe. My wife and I tithe, and we take that money. We don't put it back in this church. We give it to my pastor. We tithe to him. We see that pattern here. Now, somebody, I was telling them about that. They said, wait a minute. So, so you give it to your pastor? I said, yeah. Do other preachers? I said, if they're right with God, I, should, I think they do, yeah. They said, well, that's like a pyramid scheme. <sighs> what ignorance. I said, well, if it is, it's in the Bible. And since when are Christians opposed to get-rich-quick get pyramid schemes? You know, Amway, Shakely, phone cards, coffee cells, vitamins, uh, you know, pampered chefs. Since when do Christians have a problem with pyramid schemes when those don't work? This one's based in the word, and it's all to show honor to the high priest anyway or the, the, the preacher that does the most work. Well, what's the big deal? I don't see what the problem with it is. Notice we only re rebel when it affects our gods. We only get upset when it affects our little G gods. So, the Levites, that's the whole tribe, they receive their income from the tithe of Israel, 11 tribes. But then they take 10% of that. They're not immune from tithing. And then they give their tithe to the priesthood and to the high priest, the Aaronites. And so uh, this one Messianic Jew who's doing a lot of research, he did, just, he did rough math based on the numbers given. And he estimated if everybody in Israel had a $10,000 a year income, then they would tithe 1,000 to the, to the Levites, which gave each one of them... 70,000 a year based on the number of Levites. So all the Levites now make seven times more a year than the rest of Israel does per capita. And then they were to take 10% and give it to the high priest. That's 7,000 a piece that they're giving. It made uh, the, Aaron and the high priest making like 2.7 million a year, 3 million a year, way more than everybody else. Now, and he, his point as a Messianic Jew was, was I love the, the way the Jews think because it's a lot more not American than us. He said, it's not, the money's not the issue. It's to show where God puts the honor. And God puts the honor on those that live the most for God. And for the priests and the Levites, that was them. Their whole life was dedicated to God. They got no inheritance. Their life from birth to death was revolved around the house of God so everybody else could live a normal life. 
And God put more money there because people understand money and honor. The New Testament says those that labor are worthy of double honor, which is a reference to an offering. So it's a, it's a pretty fascinating concept. The Levites were not exempted from tithing. They were commanded to tithe on their income, which came from the people's tithe. They presented as a heave offering, an offering lifted up to the Lord, but then gave it to the high priest. So you present it to the Lord, but then you have to give it to somebody. We, we do that on Sundays when we present our offering. We bring it in our hand. We, we pray over it. We're doing everything we can to make the money special in our heart. And then we present it in these baskets. This establishes a unique precedent. Living by the tithe does not exempt you from tithing. I like that precedent. These principles were reiterated in Nehemiah chapter 10 when Judah rebuilt Jerusalem. This exact principle was reiterated again. Nehemiah calls to remembrance. We receive the tithe, we give it to the priest. The priest will give it to the high priest and God will be blessed and we'll be blessed because we're doing things biblical again. All right, we're just looking at how God legislated what faith initiated. The law is God legislating what faith initiated in Father Abraham whose sons we are, right? Okay, so far I got four principles. I don't have any problem with any of these. Only folks that worship money have a problem with tithing. Amen. I mean, only those that have mammon as a god, greedy of filthy lucre, and avarice, those are the ones that have a problem with this. The commandments before taking the promised land. So here's our third and final round of command giving or legislation concerning the tithe. The Lord reminded Israel of all his commandments right before they entered the promised land. It was kind of like a refresher course right before the exam. This is recorded in the book of Deuteronomy. He also added a few more detailed laws, and so that's what we're going to look at here. Deuteronomy 12, and there's three rounds, Deuteronomy 12, Deuteronomy 14, Deuteronomy 26. Unto the place which the Lord God, your God, shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation shall you seek, and there thou shalt come. And there you shall bring your burnt offerings and your sacrifices, your tithes, your heave offerings, your vows, your freewill offerings, the firstlings of your herds and of your flocks, and you shall rejoice. Why is the Lord having to be so specific? Because flesh will say, well, he didn't say this. I mean, the Lord knows how ignorant and rebellious flesh is. If he doesn't give us every detail, we'll say, well, he didn't say that, so we guess he didn't mean it. So he has to be overly communicating to dumb people. So he lists every kind of offering he's already prescribed under the law as if to say, uh, I know you won't. If I don't tell you specifically, you'll find a reason not to because that's just how sinful flesh is. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your sons and your daughter. Take heed to yourself that thou offer not thy burnt offerings in every place that thou seest, but in the place which the Lord shall choose in in one of thy tribes, there thou shalt offer thy burnt offerings, and there thou shalt do all that I command thee. So this is before they take the promised land, and he's already saying, there's coming a time where I'm going to pick a place among your tribes. He knows where it's going to be. It's going to be Shiloh. It's going to be Jerusalem. It's going to be Mount Sinai. I mean, not Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, where Abraham offered Isaac. That's where he's going to establish the tabernacle. In Jabus, the city of the Jebusites, the city of David, and then Solomon's going to build his temple there. But he doesn't tell them that because then they're not going to like Judah because that's, that's the tribe of Judah. He said, there's coming a time, that's where I'm going to have you come worship me and make sure you're willing to travel the distance. And this is in comparison, the previous part of this chapter says, when you go into the promised land, destroy every grove and every altar the Canaanites have built for they worship everywhere. 
But then in juxtaposition, he says, but you don't worship just anything, just anywhere. You don't just give offerings anywhere. You don't just give tithes everywhere. The place that I call my name for you, that's where you serve me. Because he has a right to do that. He's God. This also kind of changes things up here because I'll read this. I explain this in this paragraph. For 40 years in the wilderness, the Israelites lived in tents around the tabernacle. So if you've ever seen the pictures, it's like a hub. It's like a wagon wheel with the tabernacle in the middle, the tent of, of habitation where God dwelt and the priests took care of things in the wilderness. And then you had all the tribes laid out in 11 spokes in every direction. That's how they lived for 40 years as a giant wandering nation. Now they're about to move into this land and they're going to disperse into territories like states, 11 states, if you will. So the Lord's having to give laws because he knows he's going to have to address this new logistical issue. And when logistics change, so do cultures. Uh, cultures all across the U.S. are defined by your geography. Mountain people live one way. Florida people live another way. Yankee people live another way. Lake people live one way. Mount, uh, Tennessee people live one way as opposed to Texas people. Cowboy people. I mean, culture derives from logistics. Amen. So the Lord knows that, so he has to give new laws. Further legislating what Abraham said, Lord, I love you. Take 10%. Isn't it amazing? When your heart is right, you don't need laws. You only need laws when you're goofy and you don't get the picture yet. All of society was easily focused around this hub of life, the tabernacle. In the promised land, Israel would be spread out over a huge territory with land being given to each tribe. These new laws were meant to keep Israel focused on God his presence, and his tabernacle by further prescribing where and how to tithe. In preparing for Israel to possess their land, God establishes five more tithing principles. We totally understand these today as well. Tithing must be done where God calls his name. You don't tithe to the IRS. God doesn't call anything there except judgment. <laughs> you don't tithe to the school board. You don't tithe to the education system. That's different money. You tithe where God calls his name. Number six, tithing should be done in person. Uh, for me personally, uh, because I tithe to my pastor, I don't get to always be in person. But anytime I go and see him, we stop sending all checks and we collect a big wad of money. It's always a check. And we take, when I, when I go see pastor this week, I'll take my tithe check. I'll take this church's, because this church tithes as well. We take 10% of general tithes and offerings and we tithe to his ministry. I tithe to my pastor directly. This church tithes to his ministry. I'll take my tithe, my wife and I, our tithe check. I'll take this church's tithe check. I'll probably take an offering for my pastor, and I'll take the girls. They tithe the pastor too. And it's usually just nickels, dimes, and quarters, and pastor loves that more than all the other money we give him. All the fancy church envelopes he just puts in his pocket. Then he takes the envelope with the girls' money in it, and they usually draw their hands and scribble all over it and put Captain America stickers, and that's what makes him smile the most. Because <laughs> to him, it's not about money. It's about the heart, which is exactly how our Father in Heaven is. It's not about the money. It's about the heart. He establishes this principle. You should tithe in person. I totally resist tithing online because it violates the scripture. Now, again, I understand if you're out of country for a couple weeks and you want to get your tithe in, and I, we mail in our tithe probably three months out of four to Dr. Barclay because it's the only way. We tithe in person here, and my wife and I, we, we, when we have to mail it, we bring an envelope that has Dr. Barclay's ministry on it, and we, we, we tithe in person here. But this online stuff, I understand online offerings, I get it, but all this other stuff, uh, the modern society is stripping faith and heart out of the church for the name of convenience. And God didn't call us to convenience. Flesh calls us to convenience. God doesn't call us to convenience. 
Amen. Got to keep reading here. Number seven, tithing is part of seeking God. He says, I'll call my name there. There you shall seek me. There you shall bring your tithe and your offering. Tithing is part of seeking God. Number eight, tithing is to be a time of celebration and rejoicing. New Testament says God loves a cheerful giver. That's why we want to be loud and verbose during our tithing time and speaking over our money and laughing if you have to and giggling and saying, praise God, we get to, we get to give an offering and a tithe to the Lord. Number nine, tithing is done with the whole family. I underlined these points. You, your sons, and your daughters, you do it all together. I love seeing our families come down here. Sometimes we've got straggler kids. They just suck in with another family, and you've you got kids that aren't even your family, but you're all coming down to give an offering to the Lord in the baskets, which I think is so cool. Yeah, so we're at nine principles of tithing so far, and again, I don't disagree with any of these. I don't see the problem with any of these principle tithings or uh, principles of tithing. Deuteronomy 14, you shall surely tithe, there's a direct commandment, all the produce from what you sow, which comes out of the field every year, you shall eat in the presence of the Lord your God, which is a, speaks of the communal meal you would have when you came to tithe, at the place where he chooses to establish his name, the tithe of your grain, your new wine, your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and your flock, so you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Now somebody tried to use this as to say, there's a tithe that you can eat yourself, which is... If you don't interpret the scriptures, you could say, yeah, you eat it there. But somebody, a, a theologian made the, made the observation, so you're going to eat the tithe on 10,000 head of cattle? You by yourself can take 10,000, a tithe on 10,000 cows is 1,000 cows. So you mean to tell me the Lord wants you to take 1,000 cows to Jerusalem and eat 1,000 cows? What about if you just harvested, you know, 10 million pounds of barley and you tithe 100,000 pounds of barley? You're going to go eat 100,000 pounds of barley in Jerusalem? So obviously that's not what this is referring to. It is in custom and culture referring to the communal meal they would prepare out of their tithe as celebration for the annual tithe. Uh, to me, that's easy interpretation. But when you're a pagan Christian and you want to consume the tithe and spend it on yourself, you'll look for every justification. You just have to study the scriptures a little harder and it becomes a lot more readily clear. Plus, you can interpret that in light of Leviticus, which says the tithe is the Lord's, and it's holy unto him. All right. This passage continues the legislation of new rules from tithe, for tithing. Once Israel settled the promised land, and the population would scattered uh, among their given tribal territories. The two main principles here, or I guess I should say three. Number 10 is a re-emphasis. You must tithe. So we've seen that before. Number 11, a re-emphasis. You must tithe where God chooses to establish his name. We've seen that before. And the 12th one, tithing teaches you to fear or revere God. Of course you do. You've got to trust God. That's one thing my wife said about her testimony. She said, I stopped tithing because the book told me I didn't have to, but all of a sudden the 100% didn't go nearly as far as the 90% did, and I couldn't explain that. She just walked it out as a baby Christian and picked it back up again. Deuteronomy 14, we're moving through this very quickly. You guys are doing great. We still have two more pages. Lord, help us. You've got to listen faster. If the distance, this is a continuation of this passage in Deuteronomy 14. If the distance is so great for you that you're not able to bring or carry the tithe, can you imagine trying to take a thousand head of cattle from Dan, which is all the way in the north, or Beersheba all the way in the south to the central, which is Jerusalem? That's... Some cattle rustling. If it's too far to carry it or bring it, since the place where the Lord God your chooses to, uh, to set his name is too far away from you when the Lord your God blesses you, then you shall exchange it for money. You can sell that cattle off. Get the money for it. 
and, and bind, not bing, bind the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. You may spend the money for whatever your heart desires. Now you can take it and you can convert the money back into something that the priests can use. Because again, the tithe, it's already been established. We're not adding anything new here. It's been established. The tithe supports the priest. So you can bring that money. You can buy whatever you want. You can buy oxen, sheep, wine, strong drink, whatever your heart desires. These things were used to support the priesthood. These things were used as offerings and tithes. And there you shall eat it in the presence of the Lord your God. Now again, somebody tried to use the, the, this to say, see, you can tithe to yourself and eat whatever you want to. I sell a thousand head of cattle and I'm going to take, well, that could be a hundred thousand dollars. I don't know what the price of cattle is. I'm going to take a hundred thousand dollars and go to Dr. Barclay's conference and spend it on eating. That makes no sense. So we can interpret using this thing called common sense. This refers back to the communal meal with the priest on duty when you made your trip to tithe. And so, uh, and there she, you shall eat it in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. Hopefully you guys are seeing this pattern over and over again, how the Lord is establishing how he wants tithing done. And all of it is to reveal the heart we should have when we give thanksgiving to God. As the new tithing legislation is given in anticipation of new cultural issues that will arise from being a settled nation rather than a nomadic people, the Lord grants new permissions. I call these permissions and not principles, A, B, and C. If the tithe is too heavy to carry, convert it to money for easier transport. There's a permission. B, once in Jerusalem, you can purchase whatever you want to to present as your tithe, remembering that it will be given to, to the Levite to support him. And number three, the tithe... Uh, this tithe would be used to make part of a festive meal to be shared with the priests in celebration. This was to be a joyous time involving the whole family, remembering and celebrating all the Lord has done, had done for them. Tithing is a time when we celebrate what God has given us. I mean, you, when you hold a tithe in your hand, it's 10% of what God gave you. So you have a, a mirror talking to you, saying, I may be 100 bucks, but that means the Lord gave you 1,000. I may be 5 bucks, but it means the Lord brought you 50. You ought to be able to look at that and not go, woe is me, but go, wow is me. Amen. It's a time of celebration. And the more you get that, the more you want to give. The more excited you are to give. The more joyful you are to give. I remind you that the national tithe rate in the church is like 4%, which is pretty shameful. The, uh, the gross income of the evangelical church in 2010 in America was $2.25 trillion. And apparently we only tithe 4% of that. If we had tithed 10%, that's $225 billion. What could the American church have done with $225 billion to win the world? And now you multiply it past the last six years, you're back up to $1.25 trillion. We could have won the world five times over in the last six years if Christians just weren't so greedy of this God called money. Amen. Final set of law givens concerning tithing in the promised land involved a special... Actually, I should read this passage. And you shall not neglect the Levites. This is Deuteronomy 14. You shall not neglect the, the, the Levites. For he uh, hath no portion or inheritance among you. And at the end of every third year, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce. Now, every three years now. And you shall deposit it in your town. Not take it to the temple, but in your town. The Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance among you, and the alien, that means the illegal, the immigrant, the foreigner, the orphan and the widow who are in your town shall come and eat and be satisfied in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hand which you do. This is called the third year tithe. And in the third year, under the Levitical law, the priests shared their tithe with the 
the stranger, the widow, and the orphan. Now, we already proved that they made a lot of money anyway, so this was not a hard thing to do. And it was just, it doesn't say that they ate the whole year, but they came and were filled. And this was to accomplish something in the hearts of Israel. One final set of laws concerning uh, tithing in the promised land involved a special use of the, the tithe every three years. Every three years, the Levite was to share the tithe with the poor people in Israel, and this established uh, four principles. This is another reminder to support the preacher and not forget him. Number 14, the tithe should be used to support the poor and needy, which even today it is still used to do that. We have a benevolence fund. We do missions. That's preaching the gospel to the poor. We feed the hungry. We, we support the homeless mission. We help the occasional folk that comes by. But notice this. These are people living in their land, living according to their laws. There's a big caveat there. These are poor people that are living in Israel, living under the Mosaic law, serving the same God. This gives us strict guidelines in the New Testament church. We just don't go giving God's money to anybody. In fact, in the New Testament, when you look at it over and over again, they talk about raising money for the support of the saints. When Jesus said, the poor you have with you always, it's talking about the Jews, their own people, living under the Mosaic law, living according to the customs of Moses and the laws of the land. I, I, I can just see the communitarian hippies wanting to take God's tithe and waste it on people who are going to mock God. I will take the tithe and preach to the communitarian hippies and the lost, but I'm not going to feed you unless I'm going to preach the gospel to you. Now, you can disagree with me, but then again, you've probably never read these verses before either. All right, move on there. Giving money can help teach us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Those are the two principal laws on Israel. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. When every three years you had to give your tithe to your neighbor, you were very quickly reminded that your neighbor is sometimes poor, a widow, an orphan, a foreigner. And tithing allows God to bless the work of your hands. Here we see that established for the first time. Again, I, we're at 16 principles now. I think I've got 26 total. And all of these, you see the heart of God behind it. It's very easy to grasp and understand. So therefore, if you don't believe in tithing, you don't believe in any of these principles. But every one of these principles is so easily understood to be the heart of God concerning generosity, promoting the kingdom, supplying for the preacher. I don't know why you wouldn't believe in them. This should be Deuteronomy 26. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your increase in the third year, so after you've paid that tithe, the year of tithing, then you shall give it to the Levite, to the stranger, to the orphan, and to the widow. They may eat in your towns and be satisfied. You shall say before the Lord your God. So this is something interesting. This tithe includes a confession of faith. This is what you say when you're tithing. I have removed the sacred portion from my house. And also have given it to the Levite and the alien, the orphan and the widow, according to all your commandments which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed uh, any of your commandments. I have not eaten of it while mourning, nor have I removed any of it while I was unclean, nor offered any of it to the dead. It means you don't give your money to sin. You should not give your tithe to the cat or the dog. You should not give your tithe to the government. You should not give your tithe to a perverse hobby or habit. You don't give your tithe to anything but God. Amen. Apparently, Israel was really tempted to give their tithe to dead things. But then again, so is the church. That's why we have a 4% tithe rate. Bass fishing is a dead thing when it's God's money. Hunting is a dead thing when it's God's money. 
Amen. I have listened to the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all that you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel. Notice that it gives you permission to tactfully command God. Bless your people. Why can you have such a strong stance with God? Because you've been obeying him. And the ground which you have given us, a land flowing with milk and honey, as you swore to our fathers. This passage provides additional laws concerning the third year tithe or tithe for the poor. Uh, These laws establish the following principles. Tithing involves a confession of faith. We've taught you guys to do that. That's why our tithe and offering time around here should be loud because you're praying over your money. Number 18, tithing must be done joyfully, not while mourning. So be excited about it. Don't let something else keep you down. Do it joyfully. Number 19, tithing is a holy right and practice. It's a holy thing. It should be holy money. It should be sacred money. Teach your kids that it's the same thing. Tithing is obedience to God, which means non-tithing is disobedience. 21 is another reminder that tithing allows God to bless you in what you do. The Old Testament's final word on tithing. You know we had to include Malachi chapter 3. Every preacher knows this passage. It might do us good to learn Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and Numbers as well. Malachi is called a prophet of restoration. He ministered after Zerubbabel's temple was completed to help restore honor to the sacred ceremonies of Israel. The overall theme of the book of Malachi is restoring Israel's honor. The whole theme of Malachi is honor restored. Honor toward God, honor toward the offerings, honor toward the sacrifices, honor in the priesthood, honor in the marriage. Malachi 3 or chapter 2 deals with divorce and covering it up. Lying about it, honor in equity and judgment, and of course, honor in the tithe. So with that being said, we know this passage. Will a man rob God? Yet have you robbed me? But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with the curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now think about it. God has brought Israel out of slavery. He's rebuilt the temple. He's rebuilt the city. And uh, they're getting things going again. And for all this, they're not tithing. God brought them out of slavery like he said he would. He brought them safely across the, Arabia, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the desert there established them as a nation again and they're refusing to tithe. You got to know the Lord's irritated. After all I've done for you, he starts off Malachi 1 by saying, if I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my fear? I have done so much for you and this is how you treat me. Yeah, even this whole nation has robbed me. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house. And prove me now herewith, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, says the Lord of hosts. Very famous passage, we all know it. Malachi reminded Israel of their need to show honor toward God by tithing. Tithing shows honor. This famous passage of scripture closes out the Old Testament and reveals how the Lord feels about tithing. Here are five final principles. God calls withholding the tithe robbery. Stealing the tithe invokes a personal and even national curse. Dr. Barclay points out he he has tracked the tithing record of the American church since numbers were able to be kept nationally. And as the American tithe rate has gone down, the national debt has gone up. Not a coincidence. He said, even the, you're cursed with a curse, even this whole nation, for you've robbed me. I don't know how much longer we'll be the wealthiest nation. Actually, we could probably argue we're not that wealthy because it's all borrowed debt. 
We're half owned by the Chinese, half owned by the Indians, half owned by the Russians. I mean, it's all propped up on our namesake. And we're like the church, I think, of Smyrna, not Smyrna. We have a, a reputation that we are alive, but we're yet dead as a nation. Amen. Tithing supplies the house of God. We understand that fully. A final reminder that tithing opens the windows of heaven and provides a blessing causing prosperity and great notoriety. Tithing will make you famous. He said all nations would call you blessed. And 26, tithing permits God to rebuke the devourer. In our demonology curriculum, I teach that tithing is a form of spiritual warfare. And I like that. I just tithe. A lot of demons are just diverted from me because I'm a tither. The overall picture, there's 26, some of these repeat, but look at that, 26 tithing principles, and I don't think any one of us would disagree with any of these. 26 tithing principles that call for our blessing. But the overall picture of the Old Testament tithing practice is one of joyful thanksgiving, whereby the worshiper acknowledges God, or acknowledge God, for delivering him from Egyptian slavery, giving him his own land, and supplying his needs to enjoy life. That's why we tithe. And this is an obvious type and shadow for what God has done for us in the New Testament through Jesus Christ. So with over 20 principles of tithing, I believe we have been given a very clear understanding of God's purpose, plan, and intention for tithing. Amen. So now, God willing, next lesson we will get into the New Testament uh, scriptures on tithing and offerings and what the Bible has to say. We'll probably even deal with charity and where we are and to, are not to give money. What kind of charities do we support? Do we just feed anybody in need? Do we just support everybody? There's a big push in America right now to be cool by adopting social do-goodism. But I'm going to prove to you from the Word of God some of that is being a poor steward of God's money. Amen. I trust you've learned something this morning. It's a lot of info to cover. You have listened so well. Father, we thank you for these lessons. Bless Pod School in the future. Bless those that have heard it and those that have listened by CD and MP3. We thank you for this opportunity to study your word on tithes and offerings. May we be tithers. May we receive the, receive the blessing of the Lord and the devour rebuked. We thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be under your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.